G'day and thank you for tuning in to the Outpost Church podcast. I want to flag a couple of things that are coming up in the month of February. Firstly, we have our 21 days of prayer and fasting kicking off on the 1st of Feb. And this is a great opportunity to lay something aside or some things aside that are likely to distract us. Things that might make it more challenging for us to hear God's voice or to obey God's voice or possibly both. And we acknowledge that everything is a gift from God. Our salvation is a gift. It is simply His merit, not ours. We're not trying to earn our salvation by doing this, but we just want to hear Him more clearly. We want to be able to obey Him more completely. And whether we are actually laying aside uh, particular foods or food in general, um, whether we are laying aside social media for a season, whatever it is, we want to hear Jesus and we want to obey Jesus. And that is why we fast Uh, We also have our Discipleship Training Week coming up from the 7th to the 11th of February. And we are having sessions from 8.30 until 2 p.m. So that's happening Monday through to Friday. The Tuesday and the Friday, there are a worship night and then a prayer night that are coming up. And the focus of the whole thing is prayer. So each of the daytimes are really focused in on a different area of prayer. And I commend it to you, whether you access that uh, in person or online, um, I'm confident this is going to be a great opportunity for us to grow in our understanding of prayer, application of prayer. And so I commend it to you. Um, What we're about to listen to is from our Sunday gathering uh, as we are continuing our series on Philippians. And we are deeply challenged as we see the the fellowship of the gospel. We're deeply challenged as we see Paul's commitment to the gospel of Jesus and this unity that is based on the gospel. So God bless you as you listen to this. I mentioned before about um, Pray First as being a core value for us. Another core value is that we learn from scripture and when we first got started a few years back, we um, had engaged scripture as one of our core values. And then it was Lockie on a retreat who was like, what about learn from scripture? I was like, oh, that is so much better. You can engage scripture and not learn a thing. You can engage scripture and then continue to live the exact same life. But if you are learning from scripture, then that's what it's all about. So let's learn from scripture. We uh, got started in looking at Philippians last week. Quite a few of you have joined in with our reading plan. Um, If you have not joined in with our reading plan, there is not much to catch up on. We have only just touched on chapter 2 of Philippians, finally today, seven days in. Um, So we've taken our time going through it. Um, Very happy to share the link so you can join in and you get to, um, to see the comments that others are posting um, from this each day as we step through Philippians together. Um, but yeah, I'm just going to add to uh, what Dave has already prayed. And uh, Father, we need you. And we ask that you would speak clearly to us today. I pray that we would learn from Scripture. I pray this would not simply be something uh, that we find interesting, not simply something that we find challenging but it would be something that shapes us and changes us. 
Thank you that you are here. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you inspired this and you are the one who applies this to our lives, the one who lives this in and through us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would interpret this for us and I pray, Lord, that we would live it out and I pray it would be for your glory and for our good. I pray it would be of benefit to every single person that we encounter. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up. Um, if you've got a phone, um, then open up a Bible app or just go to a web browser and type in Philippians chapter 1 um, and voila, you will arrive at the text that we're about to read. Uh, so I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, also known as a CSB. Feel free to have a different translation, but if you're wondering uh, what I'm looking at, so you can go word for word, then it's the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, there are a few hard copies around. I think Christy brought a few of them around us before, um, but I encourage you to open up to Philippians chapter 1, and we're kicking off from verse 12. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. So we know this is written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, we're told that back in verse 1. And now we're told that this thing that has happened to him has actually advanced the gospel. Well, that's fantastic. But what is this thing that has happened to him? Well, let's keep reading. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. So he's referring to the fact that he is presently, at the time of writing, in jail. And he's saying that his predicament of being in jail has actually advanced the gospel. And he tells us that he's become known to everyone in the Imperial Guard. So the Imperial Guard is like 9,000 soldiers who get double pay, they are promised a pension, so there's a level of security that is very unusual in that time, um, and they have these different special assignments. Um, one of the not-so-special assignments that these, the Imperial Guards would have is to be literally chained to particular prisoners at different times. And so this Imperial Guard is the ones who are chained to the Apostle Paul. Um, and so they would do shifts. Obviously, Paul doesn't get to, you know, take the chain off ever, um, but they would come through and they would hook on. They would, you know, be with him for their shift and the next person would come through. And obviously, he hasn't had the 9,000 of them all chained to him at some point, but it has become known throughout the whole Imperial Guard, through the 9,000-strong Imperial Guard and to everyone else, that I am in chains. Some of the translations say for Christ. This translation says because I am in Christ. Both are helpful. It is because of the reality that he is in Christ. He belongs to Christ. Just like how a lot of us got here by traveling in a car today, we get to be a part of God's kingdom because we are in Christ. He is the vessel in which he is the means by which we are a part of God's family. It's because he's in Christ and it's because he's working for Christ. That's the reason that he is a prisoner. And so he would have shared with these guards in a direct sense, but also indirect. There would have been plenty of conversations they would have listened into that he was having, having with others. 
and they would have heard the gospel, the amazing reality of God with us. The long-awaited Jewish Messiah that suddenly does something that impacts the whole world and gives us access to God, access to the righteousness that has been earned by Jesus himself, the King above all kings. They hear this reality. It becomes known to everyone. His imprisonment works out to the advancement of the gospel. Amazing. Verse 14. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. It's kind of nice he doesn't name the ones that haven't um, actually had that happen to them, except for Tom. Oh, Tom. Most of them, not Tom, have actually advanced in their fearlessness, their, their boldness. Um, I went paintballing for the second time in like 20 years, a couple months ago for a Bucks party. Um, and it's, it's one thing, like I find you get hit by one of the paintballs and it takes a fair bit of the fear away. It's like, oh, that's not so bad. Uh, most of the time, not so bad. But this, this one time, so I don't know if you've done it, but the, the buck run, um, so poor fella had to run up and back, carrying no weapon, just running up and back, and everyone's just lined up and just taking pot shots at him as he runs up and as he runs back. And the poor buck from this experience just becomes emboldened. And he's just like, I've been hit like 174 times already. Like, what else can you do to me? And so he's just kamikaze. He's just going in hard. Like those times where you'd normally just sit back and, and take a shot. He's like running in. Like someone's got shots at him. He's just running straight. He's like, I don't care. He was bold. And his boldness rubbed off on others. And it was amazing what happened after that kind of midway point when he got bold and then others grew in the same way. I experienced something similar. Um, it was, I, was, I was 35 uh, when I went along to this particular conference and I was on outreach with a 16-year-old. Um, and we're walking along, we're in Port Pirie, and the 16-year-old notices a, a teenage kid that he's um, obviously seen the day before and prayed for the day before. And he calls out to him and says hi and, you know, how's your shoulder or whatever it was? And he's just like, oh, it's completely better. Um, and then in the space of the next minute, he leads this kid to Christ. And I'm just like, what just happened? And I'm like, do you understand what just happened? Let's just sit down. Let's talk about it a bit more. And so we chatted about it a fair bit more. And then as we were leaving, I noticed these couple of girls that had just been watching the whole thing uh, unfold. Um, I sort of noticed and then kept walking. I'm like, what am I doing continuing to walk? And so I just turned around and said, that same thing that just happened here is available to you. And one of them wasn't really up for it, wasn't really interested. Another one very much was. And we're able to lead her to Christ as well, just then and there. It was amazing, the boldness of this kid less than half my age and the impact that had on me. Let us be people who respond to the boldness that we see around us, but let us also be people who draw boldness out of others. Like Paul was speaking about that, the fact that he was in prison for Christ actually brought out boldness from others. It increased their fearlessness. Let us do the same in response to, but also let us initiate and be people who are bold. I want to be a lot bolder than I am right now. And I look back over these last six years and I'm like, I would love to be back at that point in that level of confidence 
that I experienced around that time. I want to be back there and beyond. And it's one step at a time, isn't it? Let's be people who increase in boldness. Verse 15. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? He just spoke about people whose hope or their intention in preaching the gospel was to make his very challenging life in prison even harder. He's like, whatever. What does it matter? The only thing is that in every way, Christ is preached or Christ is proclaimed. That is the thing that matters. The trouble that was brought to him, yeah. As long as Christ is preached, I rejoice, he says. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 20. My eager expectation and hope. That word hope we tend to use today as I wish it would be great if biblical hope really does fit with the previous word, two words prior, expectation. My eager expectation and hope. I'm expecting this to be my reality. I have confidence that this is what is going to happen. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So earlier, he's saying, doesn't matter if it's from false motives or true. I just want Christ to be preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And here he's saying, like, whether I live, whether I die, the main thing, the only thing that actually matters is that Christ is proclaimed, that he is highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Meh, I'm not too fussed. What I am fussed about is that he's highly honored in my body. Is anyone feeling challenged? This is the call. This is what Paul is declaring about himself. And this is what we're invited into, where we would live out this reality, where we are more concerned about Christ being highly honored in our body than we are about our life or our death. It's huge. Highly honored is an interesting pair of words because, like, you don't say the H in honored. So it's like highly honored or highly honored. Anyway, verse 21, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is perhaps the most famous verse of all of Philippians. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. In our Western world, we pretty much believe that to live is gain. It's about accumulating. We want to accumulate all these different things. That's what it's about whether it's experiences, whether it is money, whether it is reputation, respect, we want to gain, we want to accumulate. And in the church, we probably think of that still. That's still basically the common way of operating 
within the Christian church, the Western church, is that we think that to live is gain, our focus is to accumulate, and then to die is Christ. Once we die, then we behold him face to face and we get to enjoy him forever. And the reality is that is true. When we die, we see him face to face. There's no more distractions. There's no more suffering. Every tear is wiped away. No more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order has passed away. Behold, everything is new. Hallelujah for when that comes. But right now, what we are told, what Paul says to us, to live is Christ. To die is gain. Wow. To live is Christ. That is a bold assertion and it is a humble assertion. It is bold because we get to take the name above all names as our own. We get to take his name as our own. Like how many fake Gucci handbags have been made, do you think? Back in the day, how many fake Rolex watches have been made? Because there is power in a name. And names are not given away cheaply. But this is the name above all names, and it is given to us. How much damage has been done to the name of Jesus by the witness born by Christians? But he's freely given us his name. That's not saying there's no consequence for abusing his name. There absolutely is and will be. But he has freely given it to us. To live is Christ. It is also humble as well as bold because it's not us who are in charge. He is in charge. We submit to him as our Lord, as our ultimate authority, as the one who chooses what we do in the short term and in the long. He's the one that orders our steps. To live is Christ and to die is gain. We read through what, a bit of what he means by to die is gain. Verse 22, now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. He makes it clear. It is far better. Because there are no longer any distractions. There is no longer any suffering. We just get to be with him without anything that could possibly come between us. But what a privilege and what an honor to actually serve him now while there's a choice and to surrender to him when there's temptation and there's suffering and to use this time for that. But also his point here is that he's using it for the benefit of others. He knows that there'll be fruitful work that he's employed in if he is still on earth. And we'll read on to find out what that is. Verse 24. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I'm persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. It is for your progress in the faith, for your joy in the faith, and so that your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. That is his purpose so that your faith will increase. You will progress in your faith. 
You will have joy in your faith. Does anyone want to have more joy in their life? Unshakable joy. Unspeakable joy. Where it's not dependent upon circumstances. It's not dependent upon getting what you want. I want more of that kind of joy. I want to progress in my faith. And I want my boast to be first and foremost, in fact, exclusively in Jesus Christ. So that your boasting, my boasting, our boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Not just a little bit, but to boast in Christ. Whether we're in this setting, whether we're in a very different looking setting, that we boast in Christ, who he is, what he's done, what that means for me, what it means for you. This is what he's saying. He wants to be with Christ. It's far better. Wants to depart this earth. Pack up his earthly tent, as he says in 2 Corinthians 5. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in this body. We can be of great benefit to each other. We get all eternity to see him face to face. In that 1 Corinthians 13 passage, of like now we see through a looking glass dimly, through a mirror dimly, then we shall see face to face. It is so much better what is coming. But I think the reality for most of us is we haven't tapped into the half of what's available now. But we also get to share it with others now. We have that opportunity on this side. Let's use it. Verse 27, classic preacher moment coming up right now. Just one thing. He's just given us a whole bunch of things. He's going to give us a whole bunch more things. But in this moment, just one thing. Just one. Just one thing. This is a great identity statement as citizens of heaven. Let that sink in first. Before we look at what to do, stop it. Stop stop reading ahead. Just let it sink in. As citizens of heaven, just receive that. This is written in a context where if you were a Roman citizen, it changed everything. Suddenly you actually had to have a trial. You couldn't just be killed. You couldn't just be thrown into prison. There had to be a trial. Because you're a Roman citizen, you had privileges that the rest of the world in that time, in that part of the world at least, longed for. As a citizen of heaven, how much more privilege do we get? How much more significant is it that we are citizens of heaven than that in that day, those that were citizens of Rome? You are a citizen of heaven. It's one thing to have the Caesar behind you. You're never going to get the Caesar to serve you. You might have his authority that helps you in some way, but the idea that Caesar would actually do something for your benefit that would cost him is ridiculous. We have the incredible reality of God, the king above all kings who has served us in this way. He has given us of his very son. And we are partakers of the divine nature. The reality of this is astounding. And yet the words can be so familiar, can't they? You are a citizen of heaven. And as a citizen of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. I think you can just feel pressure. If you skip over the as a citizen of heaven, you just can just feel pressure. Live your life worthy of the gospel because the gospel is amazing. 
And if it's all on you, Rob, just start living that way. It can feel like a lot of pressure. But as a citizen of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then he unpacks what that looks like. If you live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ, he says, Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are, here it is, standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. If you had one word to sum up the three things that are just mentioned there, what word would you suggest? You can read it yourself. I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Unity. That's the exact same word I was thinking of. Unity. If we are living a life worthy of the gospel, we will demonstrate unity. What do you reckon would be different if we had unity in the church at the moment? If the reality of the risen Lord Jesus, the conquering, the coming, the rightful king, if that was bigger than the COVID stuff, if that was bigger than how we're feeling in the moment, if that was bigger than how much money we have in the bank, and so our unity crosses whatever might divide us, whatever, not just the things that would divide us, but the things that would stop us from giving ourselves freely to one another. The fears that we have, the distractions that we have. It is game-changing. Another translation says, contending as one man, like as one person, as though you are the same person. Anyone heard of the body of Christ? <laughs> like what if we were all members of the one body? What if we lived in that way? If our very behavior demonstrated our oneness? We read in Ephesians that he abolished the dividing wall of hostility and he made the two one. Speaking of the Jews and the Gentiles, a ridiculous proposition, making the two one, making one man out of these two very distinct, very opposed peoples. So unity is going to be a part of living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. He paid for reconciliation, us being reconciled to God, but also us being reconciled to each other. Reconciliation is huge. Second part. So contending together for the faith of the gospel, verse 28. Not being frightened in any way by your opponents. What if we were fearless? This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. It's not spelt out to the letter, the struggle that he's referring to in that, except it's pretty clear that it's, it's persecution, it's suffering, it's just hardship that he was going through, that they are going through, 
And now he lets them know he's still going through. So three things from that. Unity, a life worthy of the gospel will produce unity. It will produce a fearlessness in us, a boldness. We hit that theme up earlier as well. And it will produce in us an, an ability to endure suffering. Knowing that we're going to suffer in different ways. And we'll be able to endure under that suffering. I'm really keen for us just to dive in a little bit further. Um, I've got a slide, Charlotte, if you can please put that slide up. Um, this is the Discovery Bible Method, and it's something that we've used here uh, fairly regularly. And I just invite you to either do this on your own or to do this with others. But this is an opportunity to go back over what we've just looked at and to dive a bit deeper. I've given you a fair bit. We've gone through a lot of verses, um, 19 verses with a lot of content. And I've given you some thoughts around it. But I don't want to just leave it there. I want for all of us just to sit with this a little bit longer. So I've said on there three to ten verses uh, to focus on. Feel free to do one verse if you need to, just do one verse. But pick a passage, read it through twice. The default is to work with someone else. Pick a passage, read it through twice out loud, close your Bibles, Try and recount as much detail as you can from what you just read. Once you've finished doing that together, then you open your Bibles up again, silently read through it again, you know, taking in what were the things that I remembered, what were the things that I just forgot about as I was trying to recall it before. Um, and then what stands out to you? Like what, what is God saying to you from this passage? And what are you going to do about it? And who are you going to tell? Let's learn from Scripture. Let's not simply be challenged by it, but let's learn from it in such a way that we live different.